John chapter 6. In our study of the Belgian Confession, which is normally in the evenings, we've slowed down a bit and taken a few weeks to consider Article 10, which speaks of Jesus Christ being true and eternal God. We've done so through looking at the Gospel of John. So we are still uh, doing that and here this morning as we gather around the table, uh, looking at the Gospel of John and how it might instruct us as we come to the Lord's table how it might show us that Jesus is the God-man, the Savior of the world, the only mediator between God and man. We do so here in John chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 22, and we'll read all the way to verse 59. John 6, verse 22, God's word given to his people for our good. Let us attend to its reading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give, that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, 
He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. Sometimes on a cloudy day, there will be a little break in the clouds and and you'll see a beam of sunlight stretching from above the clouds, through the clouds, all the way down to the ground. And if you're anything like me, you'll You'll see where the sun has, has hit the earth and your eyes will be drawn upwards, back up the beam of light. And you'll stand there in awe, thinking of the, the power of, of sunlight. You're reminded of, of the light that it gives as it shines through those clouds and goes all the way to the ground. If you keep your eyes below, uh, you will miss the point. If your eyes are not drawn heavenwards to be reminded of the power of the sun, the power of the light that it gives, you, you will miss the point. It does not shine on the earth that you might look at that piece of ground. It it shines on the earth that you might be drawn upwards and may be reminded of the power of the source of that light. If you keep your eyes below, then you will miss the point. And this was one of the struggles that people had in the ministry of Jesus. They were stuck. They were fixated on the things that were below uh, rather than realizing that it In Jesus giving things like bread and fish, what he was doing was testifying to his power. He did not want them to focus on the bread or the fish, but instead to realize who he was and to give him glory, to believe and to trust in him. We still have this problem in our lives, don't we? To be fixated on the things that are below and to not understand that God shows his glory in so many ways in our lives. We remind ourselves today that God gives us so much more than earthly bread. And much like fixating on the place where the beam lands, we will miss the glory of Jesus Christ if we do not lift our eyes up to heaven beyond what is earthly, to heaven where Jesus is. Bread and wine may be before us today, And Jesus has given us these signs and he has blessed these signs. But if we do not look beyond them with the eyes of faith, God will not minister to us through them. So we look to them and we look beyond them to the bread of heaven. Jesus, our Savior, who gives us so much more than earthly bread. In this passage, uh, Jesus is showing us that he does not give bread, but that he is himself the bread of life. And through that, he calls people to believe and to trust 
in him. If you look at verse 24, you see that people are searching for Jesus, trying to find out where he's gone, and they're looking for him. Why? Well, Jesus has just given uh, 5,000 men and even more women and children this miraculous source of food, this bread and fish. And so they're looking for him when they realize he's not there. Perhaps they're hungry again. Or perhaps they know that they will be hungry again. And they are looking for him, searching where he has gone. Their earthly desires have driven them to try to find Jesus. It reminds us that we have a deep longing to be satisfied, doesn't it? There's deep longing within us to be satisfied. And and one of the pictures of that is our bodily desires for food. And sometimes you can get really famished and you think, okay, I'm going to eat so much here, so much here and now, that I'll never be hungry again. But inevitably, what happens, right? The next day comes, even a few hours later, and we need to satisfy those desires again. Jesus tries to rewire their thinking in verse 27. Do not work for the food that I gave you on the mountain. Work for the food that endures to, to eternal life. And Jesus acknowledges that human beings are hardwired to find something that will ultimately satisfy them. But of course he says that it's not going to be earthly food. It's going to be the God who created you. Our natural tendency, of course, is to look for that which satisfies in the things that we see. Another natural tendency that we have is to think that we can attain what will satisfy us through our striving. We think that we can work for it, and we think that if we work hard enough, we can attain that uh, which will ultimately satisfy us. In the Garden of Eden, we see that God endowed this kind of thinking in human beings themselves, and he made with Adam and Eve a covenant which was a covenant of works and he said obey me do the things that I tell you to do and I will give you life if you disobey me you will die and here now as the children of Adam we have now inherited uh, who he was we have inherited the sin that uh, that he committed but yet still our hearts and our minds are stuck in this thinking and we have this natural tendency to return to thinking that we can attain what we need, what will ultimately satisfy us through our striving. But Jesus says in verse 27 that the food which endures to eternal life is that which the Son of Man will give to you. See, Jesus says it is a gift. The food that endures to eternal life is something that is given to you. But these natural inclinations of the heart do not die easily, do they? The people respond to Jesus and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're showing the fatal flaw in their thinking and in our thinking. So often we think that we can realize, we can actualize and achieve the greatest levels of perfection. That whatever mission God sets before us, that we can attain. Now I think improving oneself think developing virtues and good habits and becoming a better person, at least in an earthly sense, I think all of those are good. I think sanctification is a wonderful thing where God, by his spirit, endows us with the ability to glorify him in the works that we do. But, we, but before we get to that point, we need to be able to acknowledge and willing to acknowledge that, as Martin Luther said, before God, we are all poor beggars. 
See, we bring nothing of merit to the table with God. And until we begin to glimpse God's righteousness and his holiness and his indescribable contrast to our sin, we will try again and again and again to return to the state of thinking we can achieve that which will ultimately satisfy us. We can, we can achieve that which God sets before us to do. In Isaiah 6, we have this very famous and wonderful glimpse of God's righteousness and holiness. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And often we we do and we should rightly think about Isaiah who falls face down. But this morning, I want you to think about not Isaiah in that scene in Isaiah 6. I want you to think about the seraphim who are these wonderfully majestic, and awesome creatures. They are morally pure. They're unfallen angels, which means they are without sin, and and they're powerful, and they have six wings. But what what are they doing with two of those six wings? They're covering their faces. They're covering their faces because even though they are pure creatures, they are still yet created creatures. And so their purity is still in a sense, cannot match up to the purity and the righteousness and the holiness of God. They are shielding themselves from it. And until we begin to grasp a little bit more God's holiness and his righteousness in these ways, we will think again and again that we can return to the covenant of works and not rest in the grace of God and that the food of eternal life is something which must be given to us. If you would feel anything today, Feel your complete inadequacy to match up to the holiness of God. If you would be convinced of something, feel the crushing power of God's holiness and his law. Because without that realization, without considering that, and without thinking about that, if you do not do that, you will not seek and love the righteousness that your Savior provides for you. Without feeling the crushing weight of our inadequacy, We will not run with all of our might to whatever it is that gives us what we need. And Jesus says, this is how we do what God requires. We believe in the Son of God who was sent into the world. Jesus calls that the work of God, believing in the Son. And that is not to say that faith is some kind of work. It is to say, however, that that is what God requires of us, believing in the Son whom he has sent. This is why in the New Testament, Paul will call uh, faith the law of faith. The law of faith is that God requires of us to believe and to trust in the one whom he sent to accomplish our redemption. Jesus shows us that the tendency that people have is, is to focus on the earthly when he says, your forefathers were eating the manna in the wilderness and you think that was Moses that gave that to them. It was not Moses. It was God. It was God. It's with that statement that Jesus then makes two astounding statements in verse 35. I am the bread of life, he says. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In saying this, Jesus is affirming in absolute terms that he is the very thing for which our souls so long. He affirms in these statements, doesn't he, that he is God in the flesh. He says, come to me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God has created us for himself. He has created us for his glory, to be in fellowship with him. And we would have this 
Jesus says, if we come to him, come to me and believe and trust in me. It's here that we see that tension from Isaiah 6 that's resolved. This this tension of whatever is created, no matter how pure it is, it's not going to be able to match up to the holiness and the righteousness of God. But Jesus resolves that tension by being the God-man, doesn't he? Because since he is the man, he presents a human righteousness and a human sacrifice that forgives us of our sins and that provides us something to be able to stand with confidence in the presence of God. But even more than that, since he is God, he is at home in the throne room of heaven. And so we go on to read in the New Testament and Paul says, I will abandon everything in this world if I can be found in him. That phrase that you see over and over again in your Bibles, being found in Jesus Christ, having union with him, that is what must drive our entire spiritual life. For creatures who would otherwise have to cower in fear or run from the presence of God, we come with boldness. Why? Because we are in Christ, the God-man, who resolves that tension from Isaiah 6. And lest we should think that being found in him is the result of our own striving, lest we should think that it's something that we attain through our works, Jesus makes very plain that it is part of his work to not only welcome those who come to him in faith, but to preserve them. See, assurance is rooted in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this, John six thirty seven: All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. John 6, 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Remember, Jesus says he, his food is to do the will of God. And he says here that the will of his Father in heaven is that he should lose none of those that were given to him. John six forty four says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. What Jesus teaches us is that bound up in his work, bound up in the mission that he was sent to do, is his preserving of those who come to him in faith. So many people in the midst of of their faith, their spiritual journey, in the midst of their faith which is frail and fractured and imperfect, they get caught up worrying and thinking that they must not be among those whom God has ordained to eternal life. They, they must not be among the chosen people of God because their faith is so weak or because their struggle with sin is too great. But Jesus says that it is both the Father's will and his own mission that all those who come to him in faith would be preserved to the end and raised up on the last day all the way to glorification. Jesus says it's part of my work that I make sure that those who come to me get to that point. Moreover, Jesus says that anyone who comes to Christ comes to Christ through the drawing work of the Father. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying from beginning to end, salvation is the work of God. And he says that for our assurance so that we might know that our salvation is secure. Because God makes no mistakes and God needs no do-overs and God never fails in any of his purposes. Perhaps you think to yourself, but sometimes people leave the faith. Sometimes people walk away, and those whom were absolutely convinced of having faith in Christ, they walk away. That's true. 
But brothers and sisters, no one ever left the faith. Think about this. No one ever left the faith while trusting the promises of God and while believing in Christ. So trust his promises and believe and look to Christ in faith. Bring to him your fragile, human, imperfect faith and trust that just as sure as as it was that Jesus would go to the cross, just as sure as it was that Jesus would and did resist every temptation, so it is just as sure that he will preserve those who come to him and he will raise them up on the last day. See, our assurance is found not in ourselves. Our assurance is found in Christ. He is our surety. Jesus says at the end of this discourse, very famous discourse about him being the bread of life, he said, his flesh is true food, his blood is true drink, and unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we have no life in ourselves. Is Jesus speaking of the Lord's Supper here? In a sense, we would have to say no, right? Because we know that there are many who never took of the Lord's Supper. We'd say, for instance, the thief on the cross or everyone who came before Jesus um, and who looked to God's promises and faith, and they never partook of the Lord's table, and yet they were saved. There are many who have eaten the Lord's Supper who did not truly believe. And so we know that, in a sense, Jesus is not talking about the Lord's Supper here in an absolute sense, but I think we would have to say there is some kind of allusion to the Lord's Supper here at the end of this discourse in John 6. And I think that what is, what is being said is this, that unless by faith you partake of the reality symbolized in this table, the bread and the cup, unless you partake of that reality by faith, you will, have, you will not have eternal life. It's a remembrance. We remember the one-time sacrifice of Jesus, but it's more than a remembrance. For in this meal, God blesses us to drink even deeper of the realities of the cross and to know that at the cross and because of the cross, we will never hunger again and we will never be thirsty again. So look to this table, brothers and sisters, but look beyond this table. Lift up the eyes of your hearts beyond the earthly elements to heaven, where Christ is, seated at God's right hand. Do not, also, do not let this table be something that allows you to prop up your self-righteousness. For you to look at your life and say, man, over the, over the past couple weeks, I really deserve to come to this table. I, I've really been well-behaved. Called to examine ourselves, but we always examine ourselves through the lens of the gospel. That through Christ we are saved. And do not allow your coming to this table be something that, that uh, forces you to prop up your self-righteousness. And rest in knowing that God gives us these tokens to help us in our weakness. So lift up your, the eyes of your hearts to heaven. For unless by faith you eat his flesh and drink his blood, unless by faith you partake of all the blessings that Jesus says are ours by faith, you have no life in you. If you believe that message, you are given eternal life. The one-time sacrifice is enough. Our mortal bodies grow weary, and so God uses that in order to remind us of the surety of his promises, something we touch, taste, something we take in, knowing that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Our sins are many, his mercy is more, his grace is sufficient. The gospel is our hope. It is our source of eternal life. Jesus is our guarantee that one day we will have no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. So come to the God who satisfies. He is better. 
These tokens are not great in the eyes of the world. Let them be great to you because you look beyond them by faith to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Amen. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, as we move into a time around the table, we ask that you would bless this time, attend to our observance, allow us to be mindful of what you, how you instruct us to partake in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would take the form that's printed in your bulletin.